Hello, everybody of Rantbox TV. Here I am once again, John Clay. I am joined by Matthew. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? Hey there. I'm doing quite well. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, you're going to find out more about Matthew once we discuss a few topics uh, which are of an interest because ultimately, as you guys know by now, we are more interested in the actual value of the subject rather than the interviewee. Um, we will go into what Matthew does momentarily. So um, our first um, topic of our miscellaneous episode is decentralized social media. Matthew, if you want to take away your, uh, your moment. Yeah, for sure. So this is a uh a topic that I've been wrestling with for, for quite a while. I'm sure we're all aware of at least somewhere between three and 10 issues that have come up in the last five years that have absolutely split the country down the middle in some way or another. Um, and I don't believe that this is actually a um, something that's happening by chance. I think this is something that we are encouraged to partake in because it makes a lot of tech companies a lot of money. Um, the, an easy way of looking at this is that the easiest way to spread a packet of information, let's not get too wrapped up in what that piece of information is, but if you have a message or a thing that you want to transmit, essentially, you know, when, when we first started, memes first started popping up on the internet, the idea of, of viral media started coming up. And very quickly, people started to want to work out how do you manufacture virality? And I think we very quickly realized that the most viral emotion is rage, is anger, is a, a sense of, 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 argu of argumentativity. Like, essentially, if you find a topic that sets people off and you rub it up in people's faces, then they spend more time glued to whatever it is that is showing them this thing because if you're angry and you have somebody across the room who's spouting off absolute nonsense you're going to want to prove them wrong and it's just a pattern that i see wound up again and again and again and i think the reason it happens is because it makes these companies money and i think the only way around this is to walk away, which is a big thing to say. And I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I'm not sure it's going to happen at all because tomorrow morning, everyone's going to go and probably see this interview on Facebook and they're probably going to do it the, you know, the next day. And I'm at this point where I'm logging into Facebook literally one day a week at the moment. And it is a bit isolating in some, in some uh, senses, but I have, other ways of fulfilling those kind of needs for knowing what's going on in the wider world. Um, tools that, especially if you're older than a certain age, you might remember like RSS feeds, like good old search engines, forums, and something that's kind of started to pick up recently is decentralized social media, which is essentially if you imagine you've got a big company like Facebook that has, I don't know, let's say 
60 percent of, of the the world's population on it I, I think that's probably a fairly reasonable guess it's an incredible cross-section of the world to have some kind of dominion over and they and they do you know if we if we if we're saying that facebook is a platform for free speech and we're all on it then when they make decisions about what we can say they are exercising their rule over how we can play in that backyard what decentralized social media does is it kind of allows you to have your own backyard as it were and then talk over the fence to somebody else and i think that's probably the best way of imagining it so i am signed up to one server on a mastodon account somewhere and I can go and talk to anyone else across the whole public internet, but they're not on the same server. It kind of works a bit like email does. And I feel like this kind of interaction democratizes our ability to communicate, uh, communicate with one another a lot better because there's no algorithm, there's no like, analyzing content to see what is going to sort of give me the biggest dopamine hit and instead I'm just exposed to the sheer Brownian motion of what is going on in the wider web be that something I agree with disagree with I'm interested in I'm not interested in maybe it's somebody talking about I don't know um, that they went and bought, and bought some broccoli today or maybe it's somebody talking about what's going on in their country and a whole slew of different things in between but they're all given the same weight and i stand just as much chance of seeing something totally and absolutely banal as i do of seeing something that i really want to see and yes you can kind of fudge that by following hashtags to say i want to subscribe to this issue but it's still the user that has the control rather than the platform choosing what to feed them Sure. You've obviously reached this conclusion after many different incidents, I take it, on various different platforms. What ones spring to mind when I ask you this question? I mean, the classic is Brexit, isn't it? You know, like, um, but, and this is the funniest thing, is I actually didn't give much of a shit about Brexit, if I'm completely honest. Like, I, by default, was pro-Remain, but only because it felt like a much riskier step to leave than to stay, especially with the current incumbent um, government. But I, th I think there are problems with the EU and with you know the the rights for nations to self-govern, and and those are important conversations to have. However, I think the agenda was set in such a way that it revolved almost entirely around a single issue, which ended up boiling down to immigration and yes there are several other arguments that have, you know deserved being weighed of their own accord but i think immigration was the one that kind of ran away with everybody sure um tricky question here but i feel that it'll be remiss not to ask it we do find that people like yourself often me will be quite irate about how people are acting on our social media. We'll use Facebook, mm. for example, right? Um, yet we are angry at people that we have brought into that bubble. Um, yeah. So 
is there a benefit to realizing who it is you brought into your life and maybe questioning the motives behind your um, your keeping them in your life and therefore having to deal with differences that were never really highlighted before, say, Brexit or pandemic, yeah. ELM explosion. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I absolutely respect what you're saying. And I do think it's actually important that there's a problem here. There's a very significant problem here. And I think, once again, it does come down to, in a sense, this centralized model where everybody kind of wants their their 15 minutes of fame you know and because of that there's this pressure to be seen taking part in or executing a kind of, of justice you know like the the kind of the public court of facebook as it were and the problem with this kind of discourse is that <clears throat> It's like a presidential debate. The two sides aren't arguing with each other. They're arguing with the point of view of the other person's audience. And so because of that, you end up with two people talking past each other who aren't actually interested in any kind of engagement. There's no good faith. And, and this is the problem is that there's a difference. There's a difference between somebody who I disagree with and on Facebook, I assume what his argument is and I argue against that assumption and I, I, I use every opportunity I can to kind of stick the knife in and go for the thing that I know, oh, if I say this, it's going to make him look like an absolute fucking tool and that will be the end of it, which it won't. And tomorrow he'll, he'll, he'll wake up and he'll feel exactly the same way as he did today because the truth is in those kind of discussions, nobody changes their mind. They just dig their heels in. Or there's a good faith discussion where me and my mate who disagree, we go down to the pub, we've been friends for 10 years. I understand that even though I've got a disagreement with him, he will entertain and weigh my view. And there's a chance that at the end of the day, I might make an actual intimate, like intimate human connection with somebody and they will see my earnest attempt at expressing how I genuinely feel as a person. And I think that's very, very difficult to manufacture online, especially when we're encouraged to have these kind of very polarizing discussions. You've got a point of view, which I hope you've seen other people um, ex uh, express as well. I've, I've heard it in a few quarters. Isn't there a merit to having your point of view expressed on a, on a platform that, as you're saying, it, it may be built for um, passionate debate, but isn't yeah. there a way to getting your message out on a semi-regular basis? Because um, off camera, you were suggesting that you wanted to, to completely de-plug. Was that, is that yeah. a plan or have I got that wrong? I mean, I mean, I, I speak completely honestly, honestly here. If tomorrow Facebook and Twitter were to be taken offline permanently, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> um, however, however, having said that, um, I do think you're right. I think that, like it or not, these services are here. And because of that, especially as someone who's in a band, I need to be where other people are. And for instance, with Mastodon, there's nobody that I know in real life, bar maybe one guy who I met on Mastodon and came to a gig that 
I actually know as a, a real physical person. And that's just down to the virality of a platform, the fact that you want all your friends to be there when you're there. And so because of that, it's an uphill battle. And personally, I think the best possible result for myself is that I kind of, I have a relationship with these centralized social media platforms, but it is a parasitic relationship. It is one where everything is drawing people away to the, from the platform to me, not me going to the platform to meet other people because it's, it's their business model. Like how they make money is they watch what people say, they crunch that data and then they give it to people who want to abuse it, be that corporations, governments, like swaying, you know, results of political elections. These aren't, you know, it sounds like conspiracy theories, but you only need to see like the great hack um, on Netflix to appreciate the fact that even in microcosm, these sort of propaganda campaigns are being carried out. You know, they, they are a fact of life. It isn't just conspiracy. People might overblow them, but it is a concern. And I think the only way to get away from that is to try and spread a little bit of critical thinking and a little bit of kind of taking a step back, taking a breath and thinking, did I enjoy that just now? When I, when I went on Facebook today, did I come back feeling more or less stressed than I did when I went in. And what I found today is because as I've mentioned, I'm down to about one day a week uh, checking Facebook just to see, has anyone mentioned the band, anything like that. And before I know it, I'm seeing about 10 different things that are very, very incendiary. And if I'd spent much more time on there, I can bet you I'd have fallen straight back in to wanting to get into a fucking argument with somebody. <laughs> like, like it's, think at some point, um, the people that are looking to prove themselves right will start questioning that um, ego mm -hmm. uh, mindset um, and that playing to the gallery, as it's known, um, is going to be something that you can easily see and it just yeah. becomes socially frowned upon. But sorry, I, inter I interrupted you. What were you saying just then? Um, yeah, no, I was just saying, that, you know, having kind of unplugged a little bit, I now find when I do go onto these more algorithmically controlled platforms that quite quickly I find myself encountering things that are basically designed to stress me out. And it, it started to make me think that as a culture, we're maybe not quite as aware of the mental health effects this kind of news messaging is having on us as a population. And it, I mean, to be honest, it's not even just the social networks anymore because if you watch pro, uh, public broadcast media, I'd say maybe, you know, a quarter of the stories now rely on some way on what's being said on social media. Yeah. You know, like it's kind of ridiculous how even our, even our news broadcasts are taking the idea of clickbait and the idea of you know these hooks and reproducing them you know it's it's it, i don't think it's a, a healthy way of messaging 
Um, and I say that as somebody who graduated in graphic design and has had at least a little bit of time to uh, kind of ruminate on how we communicate as people. Sure, sure. Um, so much that I, um, I, I love what we're talking about. I'm just very aware that we've got two other subjects to get into. Um, so if we can go into the next one. Yeah, of course. What is the next thing that we've got written down on your handy little notepad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, the, uh, the plight of music venues in the UK um, and the total lack of interest in doing a single fucking thing about it feels like, to be honest. Um, you know what? I find it so... I find it funny if it wasn't tragic that we currently have a prime minister that ran the 2012 Olympic Games off the musical heritage of this country, yet is so disinterested in funding the arts and kind of protecting any kind of live music culture we have. It's it's very, very sad, saddening as a long-time London resident and somebody who was involved with the uh, occupation of the 12 bar on Tin Pan Alley to watch these really amazing music venues just slowly turn all the lights off and disappear. Yeah. Um, before we go into um, what we talked about off camera regarding a specific agenda that might be implicitly being organized by the government. Can you tell us a bit more about the occupation um, of the 12 Bar Club with your band, Hearst Pile Up? <clears throat> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, how, did I, how did I find out about it again? I think, yeah, because I used to be involved with, um, if you remember back in 2012, the student protest movement, um, I was involved in one of the occupations back then and one of my old friends from there uh, just sent me a message on Facebook one day being like, yeah, we managed to crack the 12 bar and we're occupying. And I started popping around after work every now and again. I started going to a bunch of the uh, general assemblies, sort of taking part in the whole way behind consensus politics stuff. Um, and yeah, managed to finally start like, putting on the tour bar club was closed and you broke it. For people who don't... Uh, I mean, I, I didn't break in, but... <laughs> um, I was going to give context, that's all. I, I don't know if they... Yeah, they, yeah. so they, they got in somehow. I don't, know, I don't know how, but they got in and then they locked themselves in and so it became a squat, basically. So whilst they were squatting and occupying it, they started holding life music shows. Um, I think Frank Turner turned up one of the nights. Um, there are a few kind of <clears throat> biggish, biggish names, I believe. I mean, you know, a bunch of big names played that venue when it was still a venue. It's yeah. got so much history. And yeah, I managed to get us on the bill, which I was very, very happy about. Um, I think it might have been the first or the second time we ever played that venue, which is quite, quite funny in itself. But um, yeah, we, we played the final night of music before the cops kicked the door in the next day. Um, 
and I was actually a worker at the time, uh, so I was watching the stream of people, of uh, people being kicked out, and um, actually lost an amp in the process. I'd left it in the venue because I thought, oh, things seem pretty solid right now, and uh, you know, just when you least expect it, everything went to shit. But that's what happens, you know. That's what were you, you kind into? of? Uh, what was your main like, modus operandi? Uh, sorry, could you repeat that question? What were you hoping to achieve when you went into that venue and you were squatting there and you were making your protest? What did you want to come out of it? Okay, so, <clears throat> so there were a few things. There was, uh, we did actually have a lawyer who came in and out. We were talking about sort of legal defenses, a lot of strategy. Most often when people occupy a space, it's usually because they want a location to organize around a certain subject. So with this, it was about ways of resisting the redevelopment of Timpan Alley, which as far as I'm concerned, um, is pretty much a failed project. Unfortunately, this is for the, both, for the most part what can tend to happen because, I mean, it's London, isn't it? Like like gentrification is a thing like landlords are a thing and ultimately it can be you know a cultural diamond it could be the heart and soul of art in the uk but if it's not profitable then people with lots of money are going to find a way of turfing you out and replacing it with rock star apartments which is what they're turning the, the part of the 12 bar into yeah yeah this is let's stay with this in fact let's stay with this but use a time machine to fast forward to now we're in a situation now where grassroots venues are not being supported in a certain way that you'd think that any business would be um, um reasonably sorted out by um to a point where people are now starting to suggest that ultimately the reason why this is not happening is that these pubs these venues can easily be sold off and yep. make much more um equitable uh uh, ventures by a, a more of a monoculture state. I mean, I want to know from you, see, seeing where your 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 mindset is at and your history, do you think there's validity to this or do you think it's everyone's got a tinfoil hat on regarding that situation? Hell yeah, do I think there's validity to that. Like, um, I think the, odors, the, the modus operandi of capitalism is monoculture. And I also think that monoculture is death, unfortunately. Like, uh, let me qualify that statement so that I don't sound like an absolute radical leftist. Like, um, what I mean by that is, so there's a saying, uh, not seeing the wood for the trees, right? I feel like that statement needs to be turned on its head because there's a problem with seeing a wood as so so let's take the the uh the point of view of somebody who sells lumber you look at a wood and you see a certain amount of tonnage of profitable timber the problem with that is a wood isn't just timber it is a complex ecosystem of various different interacting species and all of these species rely on each other to be in balance 
and we've kind of put ourselves in a position now where I think we've only got something like 60 uh, fertile harvests left if we keep farming the way we are today before we lose soil, uh, soil fertility because we can't see the trees for the wood. We can't appreciate that when you look at something in microcosm and the complex interweaving of the mycelial network in the soil that feeds the plants, the way that the plants offset one, one another's illnesses, like you have, the, you have two choices. You do monoculture where you need to dust crops, kill pests, you know, it's very, very intensive and depletes the soil or you employ a polyculture system where you grow several different species alongside one another and they actually ensure each other's survival. The problem is, is that's not profitable because I don't want this melange of different vegetables. I want an entire field of corn. Yeah. Um, people are being told to get real jobs, that their employment as it was before the pandemic was not economically viable. Um, what do we do with this kind of information? You know, I, I know people who are now packing fruit who are really good at mixing sound. Do you have any kind of like idea as to what to say to those people? I don't know, I'm, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but Rampbox TV, here we are. Um, what yeah. would you say to them? Okay, so if, uh, to paraphrase your question, it's how do we deal with the lack of, okay, no, I think I, I, think I need you to kind of just, just give me that question. Are you on the right lines? We can paraphrase yeah. it together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The lack of um, responsibility uh, this government has towards those who work within the venues, those who create sound, the promoters, the bands themselves. What do we do um, as an underground, I'm talking to you as an underground. Yeah, 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 of course. And I, I think, I think very much in the same way that we've kind of got through parts of this pandemic by creating mutual aid groups, we kind of need to legally or otherwise do it for ourselves. Like we need to build resilience networks that allow us to directly connect with one another. Because honestly, I don't think the cavalry is coming. I'm sorry to say, I, I wish I could say that the cavalry is coming, but I don't think it is. Like, the denial of that conservatives have made it. This could be a part of the issue. Sorry? You think a denial of that reality from some of our quarters could be some of the issue. Like, um, I won't mention names, but I was having a, a, a conversation in the comment thread, and someone didn't seem to realize that this situation isn't necessarily going to right itself. Um, and they seem to suggest that, you know, yeah. There's a certain kind of, I don't even want to use the word, it feels so horrible now, but the idea of hoping that this will suddenly transform, I, I'm not really into that anymore. Um, and I think that the more conversation we have about this um, could be more fruitful. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think people need to be encouraged to find their own solutions and realise that it is possible to take power into your own hands. Um, and I think that is a hard lesson for a country that didn't have a revolution, that didn't, you know, 
the English are a culture that are very used to taking orders and very comfortable with that. Um, and I say that as a, as a Brit myself, and it's a very hard thing to teach somebody to, I don't want to say think for yourself because everybody thinks for themselves, but to take, yeah, but, but to take what is handed to you and to look at it and to really analyze it and compare that to the empirical knowledge you, you've gathered over a, a lifetime of learning and be like, well, how do these two pieces of information fit together? You know, what is this thing I'm being told is the truth? What is it? Does it make sense? Why does it make sense? Why does this person want me to look at it like this? They're questions that I have frustrating conversations with people I know who just take what they hear off the radio at face value because if it's being told by a trusted authority figure then it must have a kernel of truth to it and maybe it does but the problem is if you don't force yourself to look at it and say could they be wrong yeah then no like I, I can't really help you if you can't do that like like you yeah you kind of have to at some point learn to cast aspersion on on those those sources that present themselves to you as as trustworthy and the only way you can do that is by checking references receipts like it's not easy like fake news is a thing because people don't check where the facts come from and the only way you can do that is by engaging your critical brain taking a step back and being like where does this where does this logical chain lead to yeah it's it's very um prevalent upon me now more than ever to really truly check what it is that i'm reading before posting it whereas arguably over a year ago maybe less it'd be very easy to see something as being a a nugget for your point of view and your team that you could easily put out that confirmation bubble of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But if there's any good that's come out of the the vision that we can clearly see is there, is that people really need to figure out exactly what it is that they're putting out into the world, if they're going to truly help it, you know, be a more functional place, a a more functional reality. Um, And that can be good, more nuance. Um, I think regardless of what you and I, from what I can see, definitely agree upon, Um, There will be people out there who do feel that there um, are seeds for hope within how the government works. I'd be very keen to hear what those people have to say um, if they want to get in touch and be on another program. Um, We have one more subject um, on your handy notepad. (laughs) If you wish to enlighten us as to what that subject is, we can go forward with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it segues quite nicely because that is like this this idea of questioning what your what your what is presented to you is true this idea of, of of engaging some critical thinking is basically what i try to do with every song give or take that i write first pile up like every single song i write i try to take a tack where I write about an issue in a way that is relatable 
to somebody in their everyday life. I try and analyze it from a point of view where we're not talking about, I don't know, like, proxy wars and big ideas politics at this this huge top-down level but instead we're taking it from a ground level of this is something you might see in the news is it right is this some you know this is a narrative you are presented with is it correct and i'm not necessarily trying to feed the right answer to anyone when i write the lyrics that i write but I try and poke a soft spot where I know somebody may not have fully thought about something. Or if they did think about it a bit more, they might find that there's a bit more nuance there than is usually presented. And for me, that's very important. Like, it's very easy for an artist to wax political, but and I'm not saying that's wrong either. Like, like I, I love System of a Down, Rage Against the Machine, like bands that will take it head on and just machine gun facts at you in a way that makes sense and is a, you know, a functioning argument. But I don't see myself in that position. I like to come one step closer to the audience and instead say, this is a, this is a problem. Why is this a problem? This is a problem. Have you thought about the effect it has on your everyday life? You know, take a look at this problem and come up with your own solution. Because I, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to tell anyone what to think, you know? Like, that's not my role. My role is, or at least the role I've created for myself, is to try and give a compelling through line for somebody else to just pull on, and it, they don't even need to think that hard. If it if it strikes a chord, if it puts a couple of words in their head that wouldn't have been there before, then I've done my job. But for me, it's all about, you know, the seed, the kind of the seed of doubt, creating a, a little point of critical thought. Maybe there was one there before, maybe there wasn't. Half the time, I'm probably preaching to the converted anyway, but. The goal is to try and encourage people to take a step back in a way. Sure. Um, the terminology is probably quite tainted now when you think of people like, say, Paris Hilton. But do you see yourself as a social influencer? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't. I don't at all. If we define I mean, I... What, you, what we mean by social influencer and then look at what you said, that's pretty yeah same thing i just think that the terminology is something that you probably want to shoot dead <laughs> no 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 i mean you're, you're not wrong it's more that i don't have the pro I, I feel i don't have the profile to be a social influencer so it's like <laughs> like yeah no no what i would say is that because because i have this conversation quite regularly about you know propaganda and trying to influence somebody's thought patterns and, you know, kind of the authoritarianism of, of trying to tell somebody else what to think. And my answer to that is communication is thought control. Like, 
when I say something to you, if it's not a greeting, if it's an attempt to have a, a discussion where we are exchanging ideas, the things I say are weaponized to try and change your point of view. And that's not, uh, that's not like me being nasty. That's, that's nothing like that. But the point is, if you're having a discussion with someone where you feel like you are right, then the reason you say something is because you want to change their mind. Um, I respectfully disagree. Um, I think that, and this is going to probably sound really cheesy, but you've got person A has mm. a collection of stones, yeah? And person B has a collection of stones and they're different yeah. and you get yeah. to share them. You know, it's like, oh, I've got yeah, some yeah, yeah. Of your ones now. Oh, I've got some of your blue ones. This is good. Yeah. You know, that's what I think conversation should be. But Oh, I agree. I agree completely. Now in a situation where you will come up with your idea of thought control, as you said, because on the internet, people are throwing the stones at each other. Oh, yeah, of <laughs> course. Like, no one's going to get really hurt, but that's how we barter. That's how um, we communicate. Oh, but of course. I, maybe I could be, again, being cheesy, but I, I do think people are getting sick to death of it. Um, yeah. and I agree. As you were saying, leaving the platforms is a way of protecting your sanity. Um, yeah. But I think there is merit on staying on some of those platforms with that in mind. Because I think, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm still on there. And as I said, you know, my optimum relationship with those kind of platforms is a parasitic one where I pull people away from that platform in a kind of a slow kind of a... Uh, osmosis, you know, slow osmosis of, of, of slowly, I'm over here, I'm not there, I'm, I'm on this side of the wall, just climb a little closer, just take a couple of steps away. That's how I see my relationship to social media. And just to come back to that idea of sharing your stones, like, just because I use harsh language about how our speech and ideas and thought patterns are communicated doesn't mean that I believe it's one way. I believe what you say to me is also an attempt to change my mind. And that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Like, I, I, I agree that cross-pollination of ideas is the most healthy way to exist. But I just acknowledge the fact that when I say something, it's because I think it's right. And until I'm, I'm persuaded that it's not, I'm going to try and persuade you to sort of persuade you to think to think I'm right, basically. Indeed, indeed. Thank you. Um, I think that your your point of view is um, very influencing, and it's great. People <laughs> watching now, I hope that you guys have found what Matthew has to say interesting, um, because he's in a band called Hers Pile Up, and he's got two minutes to rant about it. So, Matthew, tell us about your band from the from the starting point of when I went on your website. Um, there was a unique idea about copyright. And I think starting off there could probably be quite interesting for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, yeah, you've touched on one of my favorite subjects. Uh, all of our music is related, is uh, released under a Creative Commons license. What that means is that you are free to do whatever you want with it, with a few exceptions. So essentially, we have a few rules about how you can use our music just to protect us as musicians. But apart from that, you can make money off it if you want to use it. You can 
basically use it for anything you want. There's only two conditionals for the license that we've chosen. One of them is that we'd request that you credit us for the music that we wrote. So if you use it in a video, if you remix it, if you make a new song out of it, just say, oh, we originally got this bit of music from Hearst File Up. And the second one is it has to be under the same license. So if you release something using our material, we have the permission to go back and take your material and do whatever we want with it as well um, as a free exchange. Now, I'm more than okay with also granting exceptions to that license, but we have to be contacted about that because I want to have some control over how it's used, basically. So you don't but, want Coca-Cola basically using your music to sell more cans of that brown stuff. <laughs> I mean, the, the nice thing about that arrangement is if they did, I could go and take their fucking advert and do whatever I wanted with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I couldn't because they have bigger lawyers than us. But, you know, I, it's a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, let that float out there. If anyone works for Coca-Cola, you know what to do. When it yeah. Comes. <laughs> um, where can people um, go to see um, your band online? Obviously, they can't really see you live just yet, but... Yeah, get... yeah. it's been a while since we've been in the rehearsal rooms, but if they want to come see us online, they can find us at hearstpileup.rip, which is our main website. Um, you can also find us on Mastodon at um, heavymetal.club forward slash hearstpileup. And we are on Facebook and we've got a new album in the works once that the release process on that gets fully into gear. We'll be posting on the usual socials as well, obviously, because you can't not. Like at the end of the day, it's where the people are. And oh yeah, we're on we're on uh, YouTube as well, but I can't remember what the URL is. So you're just gonna have to search house pile up. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. If everything has gone to plan um, and my brain isn't too frazzled, there should be links inside this video, at least in the description box telling people where to go to check out Hearst Pile Up. Um, thank you, Matthew. This has been great. Um, thank you. I hope that people get into it. Um, Rantbox is basically online doing a new video every Friday. At some point in the very near future, we'll be doing a special Rantbox TV video uh, regarding The Boys TV program. I don't know if you've been watching that, Matthew. Have you been watching The Boys? I haven't actually. I, I have heard the name, but I haven't watched any of that at all, I'm afraid. Okay, check it out. Um, like we did with, um, I'm thinking of Ending Films, a film by Charlie Kaufman. We'll use a piece of media content. In this case, it would be a TV program to talk about bigger issues. So the boys right. will be talking about US foreign policy, branding, mm -hmm. and the stench that celebrities make when religion no longer is taken seriously. But until that time, I shall say goodbye to you and goodbye to them. <laughs> Thank you very much. Goodbye.